And we're back after after taking the better part of a month off for, you know, vacation, getting our lives back in order. We are back here to bring you another episode of the Sixers beat. Uh, we do apologize for the for the time off, but I think we needed a little bit of a little bit of time to regroup and just kind of take our minds off and and maybe focus on some other endeavors. This episode will focus in the beginning on the GM search, where they stand, where we think they will go from here, who we think the most likely options are and why we think they're taking that route. We then kind of transition into a couple of mailbag questions, largely focusing on the jump shots of Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by RX Bar. For a good, healthy, and nutritious protein bar, head over to rxbar.com slash Sixersbeat. All right, on to the show. Welcome everybody. This is Derek. We're we're finally back from vacation. How you doing, Rich? I'm rested. I'm relaxed. I uh, I don't have too much on my plate right now, unlike the Sixers, <laughs> in terms of maybe finding a leader for their uh, basketball operations. Maybe, maybe. Well, well, we'll get into that. But we did take a couple weeks off. A uh, couple weeks, and by couple weeks, I mean like a solid month. You know, we had a uh, Rich took vac- some vacation time. We allow him to do that. Uh, I've been working on a as of yet still secret project, so I wanted to kind of focus on that for a couple weeks. But we are we are glad to be back. We still don't have a whole lot to talk about. There hasn't been. A, we are now well over two months since the Brian Colangelo burner gate, and we are still quote unquote in the uh, search for a general manager. I guess we'll start off there. Don't need to waste too much time to get into that. What are your thoughts now that we are into officially late August and these Sixers still do not formally have a general manager? I, I think my main takeaway is the obvious one in that there has been radio silence about how this whole thing has gone down. We have received one report about any movement on this, and that was that they were interested in hiring Daryl Morey away from the Rockets, which never would have happened. No, and we can, we we can sit here and talk about the the spot being one of the most attractive ones to come into to become available in quite some time in recent history. That doesn't mean that Daryl Morey is going to leave the team that he built um, into a a legitimate title contender into the one real threat to the Warriors to come over and jump into a new situation with a new staff and a new ownership group. Like there's just a he, there, there was a 0% chance of Daryl leaving that organization. And, and that's all we have. That's all, that's all we have. We, there was some speculation about R.C. Buford at the beginning and some speculation about uh, uh, Griff, uh, David Griffin. And that, that, is, that is all that we are operating on. It has been very quiet. It has been surprisingly quiet. And look, I don't particularly care about going into August without a general manager. Like it doesn't this, – this is a time period – where you need your scouts traveling to some of these events, there's a lot of a lot of basketball events, a lot of tournaments in in August. That's really the only thing going on. There's no trade, real no real substantial trade talk going on. The free agency market's tied down. Uh, this is more of a coaching time of the year, especially in a couple of weeks when we get into kind of like pre-training camp. So it's probably less of a deal 
the way I phrased it, it was a bigger deal in June and July to not have a general manager than it was to not have a coach back in 2013 when the Sixers started this whole thing. It's less of a deal to not have a general manager in August than it was to not have a coach in August because that coach had to fill out his staff and, and the coach had to you know really prepare for the season. And quite frankly, I didn't think it was a big deal that they didn't have a coach for part of August back in 2013. So I'm yeah. not going to lose a whole lot of sleep and kill them for not having a general manager back if, in in August. If not having a GM and coach in August is like a maybe like a two or a three out of ten in terms of like how much that hinders you, not having a GM in June and July was like a, a seven, eight, nine. Right. And now it's like a one. Yeah. So, and that and that was understandable. That I mean, it's going to be hard for them to find somebody in that short amount of time. So, yeah, this might just be a matter of circumstances here. But it is, God, it it is funny. And then you know, you, you talked about um, a coach filling out their staff. The Sixers are filling out. They're making legitimate changes to their scouting staff. They've hired, I think it was J.R. Holden, and uh, I believe it was Lindsey Harding is her name, Correct. the former Duke player, as, as scouts. And again, those, you know, those are my, those are positions that are lower on the food chain in the organization. But it is interesting that they're making changes while they don't have a permanent head of the staff. Yeah. So let's uh, kind of wrap it up. Whether or not this matters. Um, you know, obviously, when they hired Brett, the key was getting it right because the focus wasn't on 2013-14. It was on now what's for the next five years and probably for another at least three years after that. You're talking about an eight-year decision that whether or not they're 100% prepared for day one isn't as big of a concern. you got to get the right guy. Same position here where you have to get the right guy. The question is whether or not they're really looking for that right guy right now. And I think yeah. that's the most interesting question. You know, you bring up the scouting the remodeling of the scouting staff. Um, a couple guys let go, a couple more people brought in. And, uh, you know, you look at who's running that up. And what, from what I understand, that's being run up by Alex Rucker, Ned Cohen, and then one of the owners, David Heller. So in order for Rucker and Cohen to have the kind of, you know, to have the kind of, of power and, and, and to be given that kind of responsibility to remake the scouting staff, you assume, with probably a pretty good degree of certainty, that they're fairly confident in their job status going forward, which you wouldn't normally assume when there's a regime change. And that doesn't speak to whether or not they deserve to be safe in their job, but just that it's not always operating procedure. Um, a lot of times that front office staff, the analytics department, the strategy department, they tend to change a lot during GM changes. Scouting staff, a little less so. Uh, scouting staff tends to stay a little bit more static. And one of the guys they just let go, uh, Mike, Mike Vandergaard, he had been here since, I think, 2001. So he had been through a lot of general managers, a lot of front offices. So it's not like that's not something that changes every time a general manager changes. So you can read into that. And, you know, you start talking around the league. And I talked to like maybe a half a dozen people over the last week. People that would be at you know the top of an organization, maybe second in command, maybe third in command. Those kind of people, people in the know. And I'm like, hey, you hearing anything what's going on with the GM search? And pretty much to a T, the response is they don't get the impression that there is a GM search going on. Yeah. And look, that doesn't mean that that's correct. Like maybe they're just not privy to the conversation going on. But the one thing you learn about the NBA is they tend to talk. And, uh, you know, people, if an assistant GM interviews, he tends to talk to his colleagues and their agents really like to talk 
because that raises their profile. And if they're talking to assistant GM types, second in command types, typically, you know, you'll see all kinds of stuff where like, uh, you know, an assistant GM will say they withdrew their name from consideration when in reality, what they mean is they weren't getting the job. And there's all kinds of perception games being played to kind of keep your profile elevated to a certain status. And interviewing for this job would raise somebody's profile, especially if they're not currently a GM. So you would assume if there was a real search, a real dedicated search for their flipping over the league and looking for everybody, there would be chatter going on about this. And there just isn't right now. And I think if I had to read the tea leaves, and again, this is reading the tea leaves, the only people that know are the ones that are in the front office, in the ownership group, and who have been interviewed by the ownership group. But I would say what the Sixers probably did was they said, look, here's a list of five names, five probably unattainable names. You know, Daryl Morey, Sam Presti, R.C. Buford, these kind of names. If we can get one of them, great. We'll take them. And how much purview they get in terms of remaking the staff, who knows. But if we can get them, great. We'll at least try. If we don't get them, we're confident in the guys that we have. We're comfortable with the guys that we have, which I think is a very key part in it. And, you know, we're going to give David Heller a little bit more say or a little bit more day-to-day responsibility than he maybe would have had. We're going to give Ned Cohen a little more responsibility and Alex Rucker and Mark Eversley and and Brett Brown's going to get a lot more responsibility And then maybe we come back next year, see what happens with Popovich, see what happens if Buford wants to, you know, wants to leave to a new place. Because I think what they would like is a guy who they're confident can work with who they have in staff and with Brett Brown. And I think Buford has already worked with a coach who has a lot of say in player personnel, who has a working relationship with Brett Brown. It wouldn't stun me at all if they're waiting to see, you know, We'll go with our guys now, and we'll see what happens with somebody like Buford, somebody who has experience in that role where he kind of shares a little bit of little bit of decision-making power with other people in the front office. And again, that's all speculation, but if I'm reading the tea leaf, I wonder if that's a real legit possibility. Yeah, that would – it would make sense considering what Josh Harris said in Vegas. He emphasized that at his – uh his day job that he values having a lot of people make decisions and, and a lot of voices around the table. But I, I think, like you said, the, the fact that they, it doesn't seem, and this is reading the tea leaves, like you said, it doesn't seem like they're making a huge effort to find a replacement. That's interesting. I don't know if it's the right call. Uh, and I, I sure know that it'll, uh, it'll place a spotlight on the Sixers power structure for sure. You know, every time they make a move, there's going to be a question of like, how did this actually go down? And, uh, you know, and that might not be a huge deal if they make the right moves. But yeah, it doesn't seem like they're really all that interested in finding somebody outside of the organization right now. Yeah. And again, I want to be perfectly clear. I'm speculating there. I'm tea leave reading. Um, all I know is it's quiet and taking what they have said publicly about how they want their power structure. And speculating about what their motives might be. And look, if you're going to tell me that, you know, Ned Cohen or um, Mark Eversley is the best fit to run this team, maybe he is. I don't know. Maybe. It's it's real tough for us to gauge when when it – first of all, it's sometimes tough to gauge the success of a general manager when they're at the top of the organization because a lot of it comes down to luck and circumstance. And, and and direction from ownership group, it's even tougher to discuss guys in assistant roles because you just don't have a, a, a knowledge 
to build upon. You don't have the interactions. You don't have you know exactly what what's under their jurisdiction, what they have control over. So you, it, it, you really have to leave a little bit of um, trust in the people making the decisions, the people who have interviewed these people. And I just don't have enough – like Ned Cohen and Mark Eversley and Alex Rucker, they seem like smart guys. But from a philosophical standpoint, I always have a problem with, look, you better make sure that they're not just smart guys. They're not just guys that you have comfort, comfort working with, but that you have gone out throughout the league and made sure that they are the best guys available for this role, for this spot. Because there are only so many chances you get to hire a general manager and you want to make sure that you're thorough and that you're not just kind of making the easy decision and that you're making the best decision. And that's my only concern. And look, I would have concern if, if they just came out and they said, look, we're, we're promoting, let's say, Ned Cohen. Um, and it has nothing to do with Ned. That has to do with the fact that there's, you know, 30 teams out there and you're talking about a lot of really smart guys in each front office, except for maybe Sacramento. And you want to make sure that you get the best guy for your organization. And it's a joke. There's actually some smart guys in Sacramento. I just don't think the guy at the top is. But you want to make sure that you get the right guy because this is a decision you don't get to make very often, relatively speaking. I mean, in the NBA, things can change quickly. But, like, this is a really critical time period just from a, a process standpoint. And I almost hate using that word. I would be, I, I would be concerned for sure. They should hire Kawhi Leonard's friend, yeah. <laughs> which is uh, – you know, you mentioned R.C. Buf- Buford. He might not be the the best fit for that free agent chase. The, look, uh, I, ha- I have a, I had a lot of concern with giving Brett Brown too much say too. Like, and that totally nothing to That's, do with Brett. It's just from a philosophical span- standpoint, those are two very different jobs. And I think right now, what they're probably saying is things are working. We're comfortable with the way things are. So let's, so let's try to keep moving this forward. And I'm just not like that. That concerns me. And again, so nothing to do with the guys we're talking about. And that's what's kind of interesting to me. They'll say that we're doing great. This infrastructure is awesome. We're an efficient machine. So, and let me push back because it is hard to judge all of these things that a front office has done. Has this front office been great? I sound like I sound like Bill Simmons. Are we sure they're good? <laughs> yeah. uh, but we've discussed this many times before where the reason they are good and exciting and competing is because of decisions made from 2014 on. Yeah. And, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, you can go to every everything about this organization, with the exception of J.J. Redick, and J.J. Redick was a was a, a good addition, I think a pretty obvious addition. I think we were both <laughs> pining for J.J. Redick. It didn't take a basketball genius to figure that one out. But It I think also they, didn't take a genius to, to throw $23 million on the table. No, uh, no, it wasn't a good, good shrewd negotiation. Like, good job only doing one Good job, year. yeah. But like yeah. you, you overpaid, and, and he was willing to accept that overpay. And again, you can't really overpay for one year, but you gave him more money than any other team would have that year. Um, Wait, quick, quick, uh, quick interjection on Reddick here. What, what a week for that guy! Talking about First, the car the, story, the, the cab story, the crazy, crazy story about the cab, and then I think all of his social media profiles went dark too. I don't know if it, I would imagine it was related to that story, but. That happens, and then he goes on. I think it was Pardon My Take, and he it was a good interview where he talked a lot about you know the Clippers and Duke, and uh, he mentioned you know the Sixers too. A couple things about the Sixers that I thought were pretty interesting. One, he said when he originally signed here, he thought maybe this will be like a year type thing, and then we'll see where we go from there. To now, he's changed his philosophy where he thinks like, yeah, I could finish my career out here. Uh, so that was interesting, number one. And then number two, they asked him about Colangelo, and he was like, 
he's like, love BC, can't bash him professionally at all. He was great to me. And then he goes, but his collars were a little oversized. <laughs> See, I've been I've been a little bit out of the loop because I've kind of been heads down in what I'm working on. Uh, so I haven't I haven't listened to that podcast yet. That's that's good stuff from JJ. Um, but yeah, back to the to the GM search though. Yeah, I just don't know what the big moves they've made are. Now, I think you could flip it and say, well, are there any other big moves to be made? I mean, there are, obviously. You need to try and attract at least one more star-level player, but it's it's probably, you know, the method of acquisition is probably going to be different than last time because they don't have a top draft pick unless they get the number one pick or they uh, – I mean, I guess they they might be able to trade for a player, but you're probably looking at free agency, and that's not until next year. Yeah, I mean, I <clears throat> we can go over. I, we don't need to relitigate the entire Brian Colangelo tenure. We kind of did that like two months before he was he was let go. So go back and listen to that podcast. We don't good timing. We don't do rebroadcast podcasts like somebody else, but you can go back and find that it is online. And I think you know, I think by and large, I'm I was okay with basically punting long term decisions. Until this summer, at the time I was certainly okay with the Markel Fultz trade. It hasn't worked out, but that's probably the one that's going to define him the most. There are some other small things, a lot of small things actually, that I think he really screwed up on in terms of trade value with Nerlens and Okafor. Uh, in Bayless. terms, in, in terms, of the Bayless contract for sure, the Trevor Booker trade, um, uh, oh. Pesechniks, which I, just infuriates me. But relatively small things that probably aren't going to change the direction of the franchise. They do add up over time, and especially a, a you know a series of maybe not great decisions adds up. But by and large, if they end up using that cap space effectively, and if, if Markel Fultz works out, that's what, still what we're going to remember. But going back to why is this quick, working out? Go ahead. Quick interjection. Trevor Booker, by the way, and this is stupid, but I was rewatching and beats post-ups for a story that hopefully will go up uh, this week on The Athletic dot com slash Philly subscribe if you haven't blah 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 uh I forgot Trevor Booker like how much he played with Embiid yeah and like how bad the spacing was yeah he was that's all he did was go for offensive rebounds he just got an Embiid it seemed like every time Embiid turned around there was Trevor Booker standing right there it was it was a predictably bad fit um it was like watching 1980s spacing yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. The uh, but going back, the reason why anybody cares about this team, the reason why anybody's listening to this podcast, is because of you know Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz. Who we we have to remember the reason you were able to get Markel Fultz is entirely because of that Kings trade. They could have uh, finished with the twenty sixth worst record, still ended up with the third pick, and then still had that Kings twenty nineteen pick to trade up to number one. They legitimately could have gotten number one pick in the draft, even if they won fifty games. Uh, Brett Brown, Covington, TJ, Dario, like these are the reasons why this team is fun and exciting. So if you're going to tell me that this front office is, you know, just humming along and there's no reason to change anything. And again, a lot of that falls on Brian Colangelo. We don't know exactly how much say Cohen and Eversley and, and, and Rucker had in each of these decisions that were kind of picking apart. But if you're going to tell me that everything's just humming along, I'm going to say, yeah, not, not really, not really, not really. Yeah. And, and to be fair to them, a lot of those moves were already put into place before they got here, so there is a large element of don't screw up a good thing. The uh, and I give them credit for that, by the way. Like it would have been really easy for for Brian and, and his team to uh, come in here and try to put their stamp on it and make this their team, and they didn't do that. You know, outside of the Markel trade. So I, I think if if we come to the conclusion 
again, from reading the tea leaves, that they're not trying that hard, that they are good with the people they have in place already, then it becomes much less of a timing thing than is this the right structure to go about it and are are you mad about the search? Because like them making tweaks to the scouting staff and moving forward with their plans for the next season, well, this is – even if they haven't made it official yet, whoever has the title, and I'll be interested to see who that is – they have their people in place already, so that doesn't matter quite as much. It's just a matter of is this the right way to go about it, and as we've already talked about for about 20 minutes here, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I, if you're going to say, like, should you not be disappointed, I'd, I'd probably be a little disappointed. When you come yeah. in, you talk about how attractive this job is, and if if you don't really search up and down the league, and I mean, it's kind of the philosophy we used to take with the G- the coaching search. Like, you don't have many opportunities to talk to assistant GMs on other teams. Like, use that. Talk to them. Even if you're just building up for the next GM search. Like, take that time that you have, which you're not going to get very many opportunities to do, and do it to the fullest extent that you can be as thorough as you can. And it just doesn't appear, unless unless they're hiding it extremely well, unless nobody in the league is talking about it, and, and agents are doing things that agents almost never do, then it doesn't seem like that is the case. And I guess... Wrapping this up, if I'm going to you know, put odds on, put probabilities on how this ends up, I'm going to say 85% internal promotion with like maybe a 55% Ned Cohen and then like maybe a 40% Eversley and then a little bit in there for a, who knows, surprise. Yeah, I, that's, what, that's what I'd say too. Uh, I, I might even put it higher at this point. We, I, I would might. be... I'd be floored if they brought in somebody from the outside at this point of the summer. It would it would be very surprising. It would be I don't know if that's eighty five percent certainty, ninety percent certainty. Like I'm kind of just making this up on the spot, but yeah, I would be I would be very surprised. It's like it's like that scene in uh in Have you ever seen Zero Dark Thirty when she's uh Jessica Chastain is is trying to get the uh, Leon Panetta to go through with the raid on Bin Laden, right. and she's like, "It's ninety nine, it's a hundred percent certainty." Freaks you guys out, but right. uh, yeah, I would, you know, it's uh, and obviously this is not nearly as serious as that, but uh, yeah, I, I would put it. I'd be surprised if it's not some level of internal promotion. Okay, so let's move on to the mailbag. But before we do that, a real quick word from our sponsor, RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar, which means their bars are made with real, whole ingredients compared to protein bars on the market, which are full of artificial ingredients and preservatives. RX Bars check off a number of nutritional checkboxes, and they actually do that while tasting delicious. RX Bars are great for a number of occasions, from breakfast on the go, which is my personal favorite use case because I never wake up on time, to snacks at the office or to throw in your bag for hikes and bike rides. RX Bars come in 14 delicious flavors, including mango pineapple, chocolate hazelnut, peanut butter and berries, mint chocolate chip, peanut butter, chocolate, and coffee, and many more. They even have seasonal flavors. And with RX Bar, they believe in the power of transparency, listing the core ingredients on the front of the package. For example, I'm looking at a coconut chocolate bar right now, and on the package it lists three egg whites, six almonds, four cashews, and two dates as the ingredients. It turns out that real food ingredients can actually taste good, and RX bars are gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free with no artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or fillers, with egg white protein as a base that stands out as a source of protein that is easy for your body to absorb. 
Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruity, there's an RX bar out there for you. Especially in the off-season, I tend to do a lot of hiking and mountain biking, and I've come to rely on throwing an RX bar in my bag to give me that boost of energy that I need, and doing so with a bar that actually tastes good. My personal favorite so far has been the mixed berry, which includes cranberries, strawberries, and raspberries in addition to the egg white, almond, and cashew base, providing a delicious mixture of taste in every bite. Go check out RX Bar now and receive 25% off your first order. Visit rxbar.com slash sixersbeat and enter promo code sixersbeat at checkout. Once again, that's rxbar.com slash sixersbeat and use promo code sixersbeat, all one word, at checkout. All right, heading back to the mailbag. This one is from Kai LP. What areas of improvement are you hoping to see from JJ this season? I'd like to see him be a better podcaster, personally. <laughs> uh, the You know, he's not – he's an interesting one. I, I think for him, it's mostly about maintaining his level of play. Right. He's 34. He's probably not going to add a whole lot new to his game. That said, for a 34-year-old, he's still – I think in a lot of ways, last year was one of his best seasons of his career. And that's a huge accomplishment. But yeah, I would, so it, and it's funny, I had a question in our mailbag this week where people asked, where, what are the areas of improvement for Covington and Sarich? And while those guys don't get as much uh, press and aren't discussed as much as Fultz and Bede and Simmons, who are the obvious big improvement candidates. Uh, I think there are levels that or there, those are things that those two guys can do, Dario and Cove to just, just get a little bit better for Cove, you know, a little bit of ball handling, a little bit more craft Dario become a better post player, stuff like that for JJ. I think he's pretty set in his role though. He's going to run around a billion screens. He, I imagine, you know, it, it was amazing how by, by the end of last year, how much the offense was humming and how much Embiid and Simmons seemed to know where he was going to be. Just continue to build on that, and uh, and I think we'll be good. Yeah, I think when I first saw this question, I was going to say, like, maybe maybe cut down on the turnovers a little bit, and a lot of that's probably the role that's that he tr- was put in. But then I, I looked at it, and his assist rate was higher than his career average, his usage rate was higher than his career average, and his turnover rate was exactly at his career average. So I think it kind of normalized by the end of the season anyway. And again, part of that is probably not something J.J. has to work on as much as it is optimizing his role. And I think by the end of the season, it was pretty well optimized. So I don't think we're going to see a, a big change from J.J. All right. Uh, from what did, he sh- what did he shoot from three last year? 40. Hold on. Let's see. I got it up right now. He shot. 42. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I I can't really ask for too much more than that, <laughs> considering no, how, no. how tough the shots he takes are. Yeah. <laughs> there, that's the biggest change. Get him a little easier shots. Um, Get him a little easier, and it'll be like 44. All right. Mike M. at Mikey5150 on Twitter. Is Covington on the Sixers at the end of next season? Sixers still looking to trade him. I think the only way he wouldn't be on the Sixers is if there's a trade for a star-level player. Right. So the way I interpreted this question was he was asking whether or not the Sixers are looking to trade Covington, i.e. get off of the contract, say the contract was a mistake, um, you know, move on from him and, and and try to get out of it. And if so, that's the question, then the answer is no. Yeah, pretty pretty strong no. He's got some huge fans in that front office. And by the way, he's making like 10 mil next year. He's not making a lot of money. That's not a lot of money for the 2018 NBA. I no, think average salary is like nine. 
In fact, if he just figures out how to be a tad more consistent with that three-point shot, that's a, a good contract. Great. Yep. They, uh, yep. Yep. What was the uh, – I think like Danny LaRue, he termed a thing called the uh, – I think it's like the Nene test, whether, you know – is this contract tradable? You know, like Nene got traded, I think, from the Wizards to the Nuggets. And, yeah, like, is that contract, like, can it can it be moved without attaching an asset to it or something like that? And I think Covington will clearly fall below that line. Like, yes, he yes. is absolutely tradable. You, you get positive uh, value back from him if you look to trade him. You don't have to give up something to move him. But if, you know... But, if, like, is he on the team? I don't know. Like, that depends who's available. That depends whether or not they look to make a, a major splash. If they look to make a major trade, he's probably going to have to be a part of it, both both because he adds value to the other salary. team and he can he can match salary, right? Yeah. So I, I, if if they were to, to trade for, you know, a guy who's making more than $20 million, like, he's probably going to have to be in that trade. Right. Otherwise, he's going to be on the team. Agreed. All right. So from Brett Schiller at Wise Sage Man, with what Markel was able to show last year without a shot, can you go over how getting a jump shot would help him and the offense for having a consistent two-point jumper and if he can extend that to the three-point line again? I think one thing I would interject here is like I see – I don't know if this is exactly what the question was asking, but I see a lot of like, well, Markel was effective at the end of the season without a jumper. No, he wasn't. And like – <laughs> the triple double was great, and it was great to see. It was a great moment. And he On us, that's were good. And he no, played. He, he, he played well that game. He played. He, he legitimately played well that game. But if you look at the ten game sample as a whole, when he came back, shooting forty nine point two or forty two point nine percent from the field, with a forty two point nine effective field goal percentage, because he didn't he didn't shoot a three. Or he didn't make a three at least. I think he might have attempted one on like a end of the buzzer. Forty four percent from the free throw line wasn't really a factor to score a whole lot. Like, he was deferring a lot. And his assist numbers were great. Like, his he took care of the ball, but he, like, the, the on-off numbers weren't great. And his lack of threat as a scorer. No, I think lack the on-off int- numbers were good, weren't were they? Were they great? Uh, I think they were really good, but... Okay, but I I'll, think I'll take your word for it. I have to go back and look. That was a factor of the, the whole team just humming at that right. point. Right, and they were playing a dog-shit schedule, too. It's true. Yeah, I, I would say I don't. I, I think we make a little too much of how great Markel was at the end of the season. You still saw a player who was such a negative as a scorer offensively and such a non-threat as a scorer offensively that a good team was going to pick that apart. And I think we saw that in Miami. Yeah. So how yeah. how does how does how does how does, how does a jumper change that? Well, it changes everything. The and I think the question it was a good distinction to make because. Would you take like would you take it if I told you right now he's going to be the guy we saw from Washington but only from 18 feet in for one season? Would you take that right now? Yes. Yeah, yeah I, would I would too. So if you're you're talking about that like that pull up jumper off the pick and roll off the dribble, yeah, I would I would take that. Yeah, he he can do everything from 18 feet in. But once he steps to 19 feet you know, there's just like a magical fence. He turns into – he just doesn't have the strength or the, whatever. The fattiest young yard. Yep. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you know, and, that, and that'll be different because when you play him next to Ben Simmons, Ben's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. That would mean that 
teams wouldn't necessarily have to guard Markel as much from the three-point line. They couldn't totally disregard him because then he could get to his pull-up jumpers, you know, from about uh, 12, 13 feet. And my God, uh, Drew Hamlin just with the the still shots of uh, <laughs> of, of his jumper, it uh, they're good-looking still shots, but uh, I, yeah. I can't really glean anything from that. Yeah, so... I mean, it would make a big difference. I and, and to go back to last year, it's like you said. I didn't really think he was playing effective basketball just because the jumper was completely gone. But I think he was playing encouraging basketball is kind of yes. the, way, the distinction I would make, yeah. Because you could see with his with his ball handling how much he was – space he was generating and just like he was shaking the shit out of guys sometimes, which was really impressive. I thought he – competed on the defensive end way harder than I ever thought the first year. If if they would have gotten the player we saw at Washington plus that defensive effort, he would have been dynamite last year. Right. They they would have been playing him in the fourth quarter of every game. The uh so yeah, he was playing in you know, all the rest of the stuff was there, but yeah, you're going to you're going to need that jumper to turn around. I mean, we've been over that a lot. I yep. would uh and I you know, I'll be curious to see. It'll be uh as much as they're uh, they're saying they're not hiding what he's doing, they are they are kind of hiding him, and that's they're not fine. showing it. So, <laughs> and that's fine. But yeah, come September, there's going to be nowhere to hide. Yeah, so. I, I mean, look, I'm not going to criticize him for for hiding it. Like, yeah. I thought I thought one of the big mistakes they made was back in January when they put him out there while we were in the gym. And look, we only get ten minutes of practice a day. So like, if he's not ready and you don't want to put that pressure on the kid, just don't have him shoot during those ten minutes. And it, it, it's done. Like we took a lot of heat and it, again, it's funny. Like I think I posted like one video on like January 14th and like stopped. Uh, but we took a lot of heat as reporters for, you know, really posting these videos and, 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 and leaving him out there to be dissected. And it's like, that's not, that's not our job to stop. Like we're, we're like, and, and again, you and I weren't even really doing it, but for our colleagues who were like, Fans want to know how his jumper's coming along. So, like, if he's out there, they're gonna they're gonna post it. And I thought the team really made a mistake in putting him out there. Even if Markel said he wanted to be shooting during that time, like, I think you got, you got to step back and say, look, Markel, we we like the confidence, but let's wait until you know you can effectively shoot these shots that you're attempting to take, or at least while they're out there, take shots that you're comfortable taking. Um, because I do think there was a you know confidence, a psychological aspect to what he was going through. And I'm not sure being dissected like that was what was best for him. And to me, that's on a team to prevent from happening. So I think if, if Drew's going to say, like, look, we're going to wait until he's, you know, we have as much time as possible until he's as prepared as possible before he goes back out there in a public setting and, and really shows off what he's been working on, I'm fine with that. Like, as a fan, would I love to see a jumper? Yeah, I'd love to see a jumper. As an analyst, I'd love to see a jumper. But from the player's perspective, I understand what they're doing. Um, yeah, and it seems like the Sixers get that now, too. And, so. by, and, and by the way, like, you know, people are going to be like, you know, first time they see a jumper, like, oh, he's back. Or first time to see a video, like, oh, he's back. Like, maybe he is. I don't know. But what I'll say is, like, our confidence level will change as we go through certain checkpoints. Like, you see the first video of, like, one jump shot, and you have a little tiny degree of confidence. And then you see a second video with, like, maybe five jump shots in a row, and that increases just a couple of percentage points more. And then you see it in an open gym for an extended period of time, and it goes up, and then you see it in a game, and it goes up even more. So I think it's going to be a slow buildup. I think anyone right now telling you that they are confident in Markel Fultz Getting his jump shot back and keeping it, I think, is probably – it's a little bit unrealistic. We just don't have enough data. 
I do think there is reason to be optimistic, but there's at no point could we say right now that he's back. We just don't know. We just don't speaking know. speaking of star level talents without jump shots, the the fact that people are freaking out about Ben Simmons shooting okay, in okay. like that, in, in warm up sessions. N- n- next question. So next question was because it's directly related to this was from Mike at at Swardley A. Who hits an in-game in three first, Simmons or Fultz? And I'm going to change this question because I don't think it's a very interesting question. Like maybe somebody gets a heave. Who gives a shit? Whose jump shot, who do you have more confidence in developing a three-point shot this season? Ugh, I'd feel so much better answering this question in the middle of September. <laughs> the So to just quickly finish off my rant that you rudely interrupted me <laughs> on. Uh, yeah, the, the fact that people were freaking out about that, it's crazy. He shoots threes all the time in warm-ups. Right. Like threes and makes them, but he never shoots them in a game. And for the most part, they're garbage fadeaways in games too. Like he, he can't, when a defender's sagging off and going under a screen, just pull up and shoot a normal jump shot. Uh, so it's weird to say, I think I, I might have more confidence in Fultz still. Yeah. Well, cause, so like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about a confidence and, People will get caught up on the word yips, and and, and that when that's used, it's I, I I honestly never want to use that word because like it's it's just it's a hot button hot take word. But is there a confidence aspect of Markel Fultz? One hundred percent. I would argue that's a bit the biggest aspect of what he went through last year. Um, after the changes and, and getting confidence back in that jumper, I don't think it ever returned. But I think there's also a confidence aspect to Ben Simmons jumper too. And we don't focus on it nearly as much because Ben's never had it. It's not like he had confidence in the jumper and lost it. He's just well, never been confident in his jumper. That and he's an awesome player even right, without it. Right, right. Uh, he's a, a proven awesome player without it who could be an, you know, almost literally an all-time great if he, if, if, if he develops it. But like we, I, I think we do focus on Fultz a lot more because he lost it. But on the same token, because he had it at one point, I think I have more confidence that he will get it back. Now, retaining it is a whole nother conversation that requires information on exactly what he was going through and why he lost it in the first place. But I think if you're going to ask me who's going to be a good jump shooter sooner, I think it is going to be Markel Fultz. And again, that's just probability. I'm not telling you he's on his way back. Um, But I think with Ben, you know, I think there's been a lot of talk about him changing to his to being a right handed shooter. I don't think that's just like Kevin O'Connor thing. Uh, He was scouted as that. There were teams scouting that in high school and openly questioning that. I think the Sixers have openly questioned that as well. I think the biggest buy-in would be coming from Ben. And I'm just not sure if he's 100% ready to do that. And I look at his form left-handed, and whether or not the ball goes in right now in practice, I'm not too focused on that. Because there are a lot of problems with his jump shot, which we've been over a million times, from his leg swing to his elbow flare to you know shooting it on the way down a lot. And I still see those problems in his jump shot now. And by that, I'm talking about when we saw it at the end of the season, the various clips we've seen in the summer. I don't know how it's how it's looked of late. But Doesn't until, look that much better in, to in, me. Until I see those fixed, whether or not the ball goes in, especially in practice setting, you know, I'm gonna have to see that in a game. I'm gonna have to first see him take it in a game, and then make it consistently in a game, and that's gonna take some time because right now, form wise, I just don't I don't see a whole lot to think. Okay, this is on its way to being fixed. Yeah. Simmons hits a three first in the game. Thank you. Think he takes a heave. Goes yeah, in. something like that. Yeah, he he like the one thing that that made me laugh last year was when opposing broadcasters would eleven be like, three point well, attempts. He's zero for eleven. Well, he's zero for eleven. Well, those are all half courties. Right. Um, 
Yeah, but like you said, if you, if we can get 18 and in Fultz and a confident 18 and in, a, a decisive 18 and in, I'll that would that. be a that would be a victory for 18-19. Huge for sure. win for sure. All right, last one, and then we will let you go. No reason to do an hour long August podcast when there's been no news in a month. From Canton at Canton Bird, will the bench be better than the first half of last year, and will they get rid of Jared Bayless? I like this question because you just he, wrote about it. Yeah, and and also the bench part too. The fact that he distinguished from the second half to the first half, right? Because in the first half, the Sixers bench was awful. And then Bellinelli and Ilyasova came in, and Ilyasova was just a massive upgrade as a player. And Bellinelli, for all of his faults and all of the ridiculous shots he took, was pretty much— He was much, not Timotei Luau Cabrera. He was pretty much what the doctor ordered in terms of the one thing he was good at. That's what they needed. Uh, Bayless is the the interesting guy. He— uh, because I I got, you know, with that mailbag the other day, I would say maybe 10 of the questions were like, why is Bayless still on the team? And uh, I looked Valid the other question, day. question, by the way. It is a good question. And uh, to, to further illustrate that point, the Sixers wished him happy birthday from their official <laughs> account on Twitter the other day. Reading some of those replies <laughs> yeah. was – it was so funny. The, the, not one person was wishing Jared a happy birthday. They were all wondering the same thing. Why is he still on the team? Or I forgot he was still on the team. I do wonder if there's anyone like on the, the social media staff who goes, look, we should wish him a happy birthday. Like he He's on the team. He deserves that. But like, is this really the wisest thing in the world to do? Like, Do we have any reservations about doing so? Uh, because like you, it was predictable that fans would not necessarily warm up to that uh, to that wish. I think it's like when the Flyers, they, whenever they tweet something about this guy, Andrew McDonald, who stinks on their team, who the, the fans also don't like, It's th- those replies are pretty bad. Those, those replies are worse, honestly, considering Flyers fans. But, uh, yeah, to, to go back to Bayless, I, I looked this up again. Do you remember when he came into the game in Boston? Yep. That game one? That was the only, whatever. That was the only time he played From like February. after February 10th, I think. Uh, which was funny because the Sixers, they played a terrible game one in Boston. And really the, the only thing I, I got like a ton of enjoyment out of was Jared Bayless coming off the bench like, holy shit, can't believe he's playing. Uh, but went over this in the mailbag. To me, as unsatisfactory as this answer is going to seem, it might make sense to just keep him on the roster until the trade deadline. Because when you look at the rest of the free agents out there, you know, I know some people brought up Patrick McCall. I don't think you can do that. I think the only offer that you could cobble together for him, the Warriors would match. That's the room mid-level exception. Number two, I'm not sure you should be, as much as I like McCall, you should be tying up future cap space when you want to go big game hunting next year. And you got you just look at the rest of these guys like God like I've seen like some posts about like Jamal Crawford oh my God no I have that, so at one point you they uh, like there was chatter that he, that he was interested so like, there's chatter with every team in the league that he's interested because he is a good guy right but, I have no interest in on him on the Sixers correct oh God his watching him play is brutal so yeah if there's no 
you know, there's no free agent who's going to A, make your team better next year, and B, not tie up any cap space after next year, then it might make sense to to hold on to Bayless and hope there is a trade for an expiring contract available at some point during the season. And maybe maybe instead of getting somebody on the buyout, you get somebody who's 130% better and you attach like a second-round pick or something like that. You just got a ton of them in this past draft last year. Right. That that would be what I would say. You know, I, I don't know if Bayless would want to force his way out via like a buyout or something. I don't I don't know how much leverage he really has there. The the other thing too is do you think he would get a contract if he was a free agent? I could see him getting like a minimum. I okay. Think. I don't know. Like a guaranteed minimum? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I, can, I, know. I, I could see a team looking for his shooting um, in a very limited role. Whether that's a guaranteed minimum or not, I don't know. But I wouldn't expect him to get a, a, a contract beyond that. Yeah, well, so so to me, it, it seems like as I don't know if you even want him around the team all year because I, I don't think like personally, I don't think he provides like a ton of value in the locker room either. Uh, if we're being honest. So yeah, is is you know it seems like you're wasting a roster spot, and you kind of are. But look, you know you're not going to stretch him. I it's, it seems to me I don't know how much he would take for a buyout. But again, even if you buy him out, probably I, about the minimum. What, what are you doing with that cap space? Right. Nothing. And by the way, you so, wouldn't even have that much cap space. I think they're like maybe six hundred thou over the cap right now. So like you're not you're not even you're not getting that much. Yeah, and like you so said, they're you, not they're not, not just, stretching it so that he has a cap hit for next summer. They would only do that if they thought like the only time you would do that is early July if that space was needed to sign LeBron, LeBron or Paul George. Like you're not going to do it now. Yeah, and it's you know it's too bad, but at least I guess that's one of the silver linings. You know, at least when you didn't get one of the big guys this summer, you can just let this terrible contract just go off your books. And that's what I think they're going to do. Hopefully somebody pops up who's an expiring that uh, they can they can trade Bayless for. Yep. No, I, I kind of agree with you. Unless he forces his way out, is he on the roster opening night? Probably. Is he on the roster after the trade deadline? I kind of doubt it. No. Because at that and point, it, I think even if you're past the trade deadline, you know, you cut him and you use that roster spot. His, his yeah. value is, now that they're a team over the cap, his value is as salary matching. That's all. So the second part of that question, which is actually the first part of the question, will they have a better bench in the first half of last year? Uh, I'm just going through it right now. Uh, yes. Yes. Wilson Chandler is better than any of the wings they had coming off the bench last year. I think another year of TJ feeling good in his role. We will see We will see what happens with Markell. I think – Mike Muscala. Muscala and, and Amir being able, uh, you know, another year with Amir in the system. I think Muscala probably will get the first shot to play because of the three-point shooting that he provides. But, you know, to just have that option, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll be a little bit better. I think they will be worse than at the end of last year, though. Somewhere in the middle. It's hmm. an interesting question. I think they might, I, I could see them being better than last year. I could see them being better than last year. 
I think I think Wilson Chandler defensively is is going to be important in that equation. Like I think I think they're going to be a yeah yeah yeah. But I think they're going to be a little more flexible in the lineups they throw out there, and I think maybe that could make them even better than last year at the at the end of the season. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how all those pieces fit. How how some of them age. Wilson, I think, is not. You know what is he? Twenty nine, thirty? Like he's he's thirty two, I think. Oh, is he thirty two? Yeah. So yeah, he's the first real wing they've ever had off the bench that wasn't like a shooting specialist. Oh, uh, thirty one. Yeah. All right. Fair point. Um. Yeah. No. He and I think I think his, he's a real NBA wing. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Uh, and I think he'll be big. I think I think Oscala might be a little bit underrated too. I think he will fill that role better than Rashawn did. So we will we will see. Um. Yeah, I think certainly 100% better than than the start of the season. You won't have Luau Cabarro and Justin Anderson getting like a combined 25 minutes off the bench. That will be that will be a big boost. A big and there won't the lady behind us. She won't say uh, yeah, Rashawn whenever uh, he goes into the game. Maybe she? maybe she does it with Muscala. Yeah, Muscala. Yeah, I'll tell you what. With well. How many? You know, since she's been going to games, they've had what two CEOs. Now yeah. going on to their fourth GM, probably about 150 players. But her annoyance has been the one consistent in that building, and it would. Uh, this is something that nobody listening to this cares about, unless you happen to sit sit right over in that spot of the the um, the building. So I think that's probably a pretty good time to edit now, since we're rambling <laughs> about a, a a heckler in the building. So thank you, Rich, for jumping on. We will try to get to one of these. Certainly, we won't wait a month for the next one. And take care. All right, man. See ya. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.